Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again this uh, Sunday morning. Thank God for His blessings and allowing us to be here. And uh, just want to spend a, uh, send a special shout out to a friend, Louise. Good to see you, Louise. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. I want us to turn our attentions to Judges chapter 6. And we want to read uh, a portion of scripture here. We're looking at the life of Gideon this morning, and um, his story actually takes up a few chapters in Scripture. We don't have time this morning to read it all, so I'm going to just uh, kind of jump through it a bit here, but to give you just a sense of um, what the story is about, and then we'll look at it a little closer. Judges chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse number 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, if you have, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizite, where his son Gideon was thrashing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah for flour he made bread without yeast. Put in the meat in a basket and his broth in the pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. 
The angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abedzites. Let's jump over to verse number 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all of the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's just acknowledge the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank You so much for the opportunity to once again draw attention to your word and as we do so we want to acknowledge you and thank you for being in our midst father i acknowledge to you that i need you right now i need you to strengthen my mind and my body and my voice and help me to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way i pray also dear god for everyone under the sound of my voice that you would minister to their hearts and prepare them to hear what it is that you have to say to them so father just bless our time together we pray in jesus name Amen. One of the things that uh, I find throughout the scripture is this idea that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. That none of us are here by accident or happenstance or just by chance, but that when God created us, he had a unique and special plan for each and every one of us. Scriptures like Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 29 and 11, when he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future come to mind. That God has a plan for your life. There is something that he had in mind when he created you and he wants you to achieve. I wonder what it would be like if when we get to heaven, we could see like a written copy of what God's plan for our life was. And then compare that to act actual reality, what we did with our life. I wonder how many of us would be really surprised and a bit disappointed to realize that God had these great, awesome plans that were never fulfilled in our life for some reason. You know, wouldn't it be something to look at it and say, oh my goodness, is that what God wanted me to do in my life? Is that was, was that his plan? Well, God does have a plan. And what Gideon's life teaches us are some examples or some lessons about how to achieve God's plan for your life. How to achieve the most that God has for you. We're looking here in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges takes place after the period of the death of the elders who served with Joshua. Who led them into the promised land. And before the period of the monarchy that begins with King Saul. So it's this period of time in between. When Joshua is off the scene and all the elders that served with him. And before the beginning of the monarchy, the, um, uh, monarchy in Israel. And one of the key themes of the book of Judges. Is this repeated cycle of obedience and disobedience of the children of Israel. The cycle went something like this. The children of Israel would rebel against God. 
and they would be disobedience. As a result, God would punish them and He would allow their enemies to oppress them. So there would be oppression. Their oppression would go on for a while and then the children of Israel would appeal to God for help. God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, He was called, who would lead the people to victory over their enemies. The people would then return to God in obedience and repentance and there would be a time of peace, you know, because they had done things that were right. But then once again, the people would rebel against God and the cycle would begin again. And through the book of Judges, you see this cycle repeated time and time and time again. Here in chapter 6, the children of Israel are in the midst of one of these cycles when our story picks up. Let's look at it again. Verse number 1. The people have rebelled against God and God has allowed their enemies to oppress them. In verse number 6, the Israelites cry out to God for help and cry out for deliverance. In verse 12, God selects Gideon to be the next judge of Israel and to lead the people to victory over their enemies. And then in chapter 7, which we didn't read, it describes their military victory over the Midianites as Gideon was able to be used of God to free the children of Israel. And then in chapter 8, verse 28 in particular, it says that there was peace during the rest of Gideon's lifetime. So once Gideon helped them to overcome their enemies, through the rest of Gideon's life, there was peace. But then in verse 33 of chapter 8, it says that no sooner, and these are the exact words in NIV, that no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites once again rebelled against God and the cycle continued. Now, I could preach a whole sermon just on that idea, this cycle of obedience and disobedience. But I wonder how many of us can relate to that cycle in our own lives. How many of us have had lives and experience with God that have been not consistent with Him, but cycles of obedience and disobedience? Up in the mountaintop, down in the valley. Going on with God, now we're discouraged. And it's not something that we want to accept in our life. It's easy to look at their example and say, how could they do that? How could they go from being oppressed, delivered, have peace, only to once again go back to disobedience and repeat the cycle over and over again? But if we were honest, some of us would have to put our hands up and say, you know what, that cycle has been true in my own life as well. But Jesus Christ came to break that cycle, to give us true deliverance and freedom with Him. But that's another sermon for another day. Our attention this morning is to look at the story of Gideon and specifically look at how God used him to lead the Israelites to victory over Midian, over the Midianites. In other words, how God was able to use Gideon to achieve great things for him. Because I'm convinced, based on the authority of God's word, that God has a plan for each and every one of your life. That there's something that he created you to do. And no matter how old you are, how young you are, if you're still breathing today, then that means you, God's plan for you isn't over. How can you make sure that you achieve in your life what it is that God wants you to do? So when you stand before God in the judgment, you don't have this sense that God's expectations for you, what he wanted to do in your life was so much greater than what you actually achieved. And I believe that's possible. I believe it's possible to miss out on all the blessings that God wants to have in our life. I believe it's possible that God can want to do some incredible things and bless us in ways we never thought possible, take us places and do things in our life we never dreamed of, and yet we can leave this world having never fulfilled that if we don't know what it takes to be able to trust God to do that. So that's what we want to learn today. How can we achieve the great things that God has in store for us? So, let's look at the story of Gideon. And again, since I didn't have time this morning to read all of it, let me just give you the overview again. Verse 12 in chapter 6. 
God answers the call of the children of Israel and he chooses Gideon to be their leader. But Gideon is cautious and reluctant. You know, he, when God first came to him, he didn't say, oh yeah, I'm the man, let's go, what can I do? He was very, very cautious and reluctant. In verse 13, when Gideon is told that God is with him, Gideon responds by asking, if God is with us, then why has all of this happened? God, Gideon believed that God had abandoned the children of Israel. He wasn't really understanding that it was the children of Israel's own fault. It was their sin that had put them in the situation they were in. God hadn't abandoned them. And it's true in our lives today. There are things that we suffer, even after we become Christians, that are a result of our own disobedience and our own sinfulness. They're our own fault. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean He doesn't love us. But we've got to suffer these things. Peter says in his epistle, we're talking about suffering, that there's really no redemptive value to suffering that's a result of our own fault. And he says that when we suffer for our own fault, then suffer patiently. All we can do is just hang on and wait until God changes it. But he talks about suffering that comes as a result of you standing up for God and doing what's right, that that achieves a higher purpose. That's good suffering when you suffer for those reasons. We hear the children of Israel weren't suffering for the things of God. They weren't suffering because they were standing up for what was right. They were suffering because of their own sin. In verse 14, God answers Gideon by saying that he is sending him, that I haven't abandoned you, I'm sending you Gideon, and that he will deliver Israel from the Midianites. In verse 15, Gideon questions God's decision in choosing him. So at first, Gideon is saying, well, if you're with us, then why is all this happening? God said, I'm with you, trust me, you can do this. And then he says, well, why are you choosing me? I'm not qualified to do this. You know, my clan is, is the least in all of Israel, and I'm the least in my own family. And then in verse 16, God reassures Gideon for the third time already that he is with him and that he will succeed. Are you getting the sense that Gideon is not so anxious to go and do this job, <laughs> that he is in fact very reluctant? In verse 17, Gideon is still not convinced, and he asks God for proof that it is really God speaking to him. Now, the scripture says that the angel of the Lord is speaking to him, and Gideon must have not been completely sure if this person was really speaking on God's behalf. And perhaps you can relate to that as well, where you're seeking God's will in something, and there are times when you're just not sure that the voice you're hearing in your head, that the, the sense you're having within, that this is really God telling me to do this, or is this just what I want to do? You know, I know sometimes you can hear someone preach a sermon and you feel like God is speaking to you and telling you to do a particular thing. But then you may, after you leave and reflect on it, wonder, was that really God saying for me to do this or that? And this is where Gideon is. He's still not convinced. So what Gideon asks is, God, don't leave. I want, I want you to prove that this is really you speaking to me. So in verses 19 to 21, Gideon goes away and prepares an offering. And God causes fire to flare from the rock. And consume both the meat and the bread. A very supernatural occurrence. Meant to convince Gideon once and for all, yes, you're hearing from God. Now, I don't want to be too critical of Gideon here. But I think if I was to take some meat and bread and let's say put it on that table. And then God calls fire to come out of nowhere and consume it. I think that would have convinced me. That yeah, this is God speaking to me. But still, Gideon is not convinced. So, I'm sorry, Gideon is convinced that it's God speaking to him in verse 22, but he's still not convinced that he can succeed. 
So God gives Gideon a test. We didn't read this part in verses 25 to 26. And he instructs Gideon to tear down the temples, uh, the, the, the altars uh, to false gods. You know, the, the children of Israel had stopped worshiping the one true God and they was following an idol named Baal. And God instructed him to do that. And he did. And I think that's also an important lesson. That before God uses us to do something big and great, he often gives us minor tests to see if he can trust us to do those things. So before Gideon was going to lead the children of Israel to victory of the Midianites, God gave him another uh, uh, task. Tear down these idol temples and, and uh, these altars rather to idols. And he did that. I think about in my own life how as I look back at things that God has done, I can see how God tested me in small things first before he gave me an opportunity for bigger things. And he'll do that in all of our lives. In verse 34, the spirit of God came upon Gideon and he began gathering men for the battle. So it looks like Gideon is finally convinced, encouraged and ready to do this thing. But then in verse 36 through 40, Gideon says, hold on now, I'm almost ready to do this, God, but just give me one more test. And that's where he gives them the example of the fleece. And I got to admit, there's something wrong in my brain because I always get confused about which went first, the dry or the wet. But uh, I think it was the first time he said, God, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then when he went there and the next morning, sure enough, that's what happened. He wrung out the fleece. It was a bowl full of dew and all the ground was wet. Another supernatural occurrence that should have convinced him that, you know, this was really God working. But perhaps Gideon thought, well, maybe the sun dried the ground, but hasn't yet dried the fleece. So he said, God, will you do it one more time? This time, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And God does that again. And so now Gideon is really convinced that it is God, right? Except he's not. <laughs> he's still not convinced that I'm really supposed to do this and God is with me. I'll explain that in just a moment. In verses 7 to 6, uh, in chapter 7, verse 1 to 6, Gideon begins to gather a lot of men so he can go and fight. And I think it's a testament to how reluctant, cautious, and uncertain Gideon was that he went and gathered 32,000 men to go and fight. You know, a pretty sizable army. But God didn't want him to do that. Because then if they won, they would say it was in their strength. They would think that what won the day was we had 32,000 men. So God says, what I want you to do is reduce them. And God reduced it from 32,000 down to 300. 300 men to go against this big army. But then Gideon is still not totally confident. So God gives him one more proof. He says, if you're still afraid... Go down to the Midian camp at night, sneak in, and you will overhear two soldiers talking. And Gideon does that. And what he overhears is one soldier telling the other one about a dream that he had in which the Israelites conquered the Midianites. And when Gideon hears that dream being talked to about these two Midianite soldiers, then he knows that God really will give him the victory. And then in the rest of chapter 7, Gideon leads the Israelites to victory. So what's the point in all of this, this story of Gideon? Is it just an interesting story, maybe we tell in Sunday school, or just to know that this happened? Or are there some lessons that we can learn? Well, I think there are some lessons that can be learned from Gideon's experience and can apply to our lives today. 
And here's the first lesson. It has to do with the type of people God chooses. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's God's way of doing stuff. You know, there was nothing noteworthy about Gideon, at least not outwardly. There's nothing in the text that said he had done some great feat or he was well respected in his community or anything. God just chose him. And that's how God works. There are other examples in scripture. Think about David, who went on to be a great king of Israel. He was a shepherd boy, a lowly shepherd boy and the youngest in his family. He was even overlooked by his brothers and his, uh, his father. But yet God chose him. Think about Moses. There was nothing special about Moses and Moses' family that caused God to have his mother put him in that basket in the river and to be taken by Pharaoh's daughter. Just God's choice, ordinary person. And then think about how that God chose Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Where was Moses and what was he doing when God came and talked to him? Moses was an ex-prince of Egypt who was now exiled in Midian as a shepherd. There would have been a sense where the 40 years that Moses spent out in the desert, he could have felt that the best time of his life was behind him. He was brought up as Pharaoh's grandson. He lived in a palace. He had the best of everything. And now he's living in a desert somewhere taking care of sheep. An unknown person. He could have felt like my best days are behind me. There's nothing left for me to do but to just to run out the days of my life. But yet God found him where he was and was still able to use him. And then, of course, another example would be Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's nothing in the Bible that says that Mary was some special young girl, that she was better than everybody else, that as she was growing up, everybody looked at her and said, oh, yeah, she's going to do something great with her life. Just an ordinary person. But see, that's God's formula for success. God takes ordinary people, matches them with an extraordinary God himself and does great things in their life. So if you think that you're nothing special, if you think you don't have much to offer, if you think you can't make a difference, then you're exactly the type of person that God chooses. If you think you're special, if you think you're better than everybody else, if you think you've got a lot to offer, then you're really not the type of person that God chooses. See, the way man does things is when we want to fill a job, when we need somebody to do something, we want to know what their CV looks like. We want to know what their past experience is or their, their, their expertise or accomplishments. But that's not what God does. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So God chooses just ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Here's the other thing we can learn from Gideon's life. God's plan for your life is far greater than your plan for your life. When I was a young man, I started out in business, you know, at 20, 21 years of age. And I can remember early on going to these seminars. Uh, any of you guys ever been to seminars that's like self-help and motivational, things like that? You know, and reading these books, because I wanted to know how do you become successful? And for me, at that time, that just meant money. How do you make money? How do you get rich? And all of these things had something in common. And one of the things was that you need to have a plan. You know, uh, if you fail to plan, what, what is the expression again? So, something about if you, if you uh, don't make a plan, then you plan to fail. So you, you have to plan. You have to have an idea about what it is you want to accomplish in your life. Well, what the Bible says is that 
Whatever our plans are for our life, they're far less than God's plan for our life. Whatever it is that you would like to do with your life or accomplish, God has a greater plan for you than that. And the Bible is full of stories about people who God uses to do things, who use to do things beyond their wildest dreams. Gideon is, is an example of that. When the children of Israel are being oppressed by the Midianites, Gideon was not seeking to be the leader of the cause. He was not thinking, I want to be the next judge of Israel. I want to do something great here. That wasn't his plan at all. But God saw something in Gideon that he didn't see in himself. And that's why when God chose him, he was like, I can't do this. That's the case with many of you here today, I'm convinced. I know it's been the case in my own life that you're capable of doing far more for God than you ever thought possible. God sees something in you that you may not see in yourself. You may feel like I have nothing to offer. I'm not very important. God couldn't use me in any significant way. But God sees things in you that you can't even see in yourself. His plan for your life is greater than your plan for your life. That's why God addressed. Look at verse 12 in chapter 6. God addressed Gideon as what? A mighty warrior. And then in chapter 14, he refers to him as a man with strength. In a sense, Gideon was really destined for greatness. It was when God created him, he had this plan for him, but he didn't know it. Do you know what Gideon's name means? Gideon means literally one who cuts down. And you could, mean, you could say one who cuts down the enemy. There was greatness in him that he didn't realize it. One of my favorite scriptures in all of uh, the Bible is Ephesians 3 and 20. That talks about how that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And that's true about our lives. God can do exceedingly abundantly more in our life than we can ask or imagine. Again, going back to those seminars I went to 25 years ago. Many of these seminars talked about having a plan and said that if you want to achieve it, you have to first be able to conceive it. An ideal is that if you can't conceive the success that you want, you'll never achieve it. You've got to be able to conceive it before you achieve it. And then that sounds like a pretty good philosophy. That makes sense. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you can conceive it, it's less than what God can do in your life. If you can dream it, if you can articulate it and say, this is what I want to do. This is where I see me being in 10 years or 15 years. If you can do that, then it's less than what God can do. Because the things that God can do in each and every one of our lives is, are, is greater than we can even dream. It's beyond our wildest imagination. God can take you places and do things in your life that you can't even begin to explain or to dream about. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's one thing to serve a God that can do anything you ask him. That's capable of doing any, making any dream that you have a reality. But that's not what the Bible says. He says that the things that God wants to do in your life, you can't even dream it. You can't even plan it. Don't even try. It's far beyond your wildest imagination. I think about that in my own life. Now, it may not seem much to you or be very significant to you that I'm standing here in Moody's Burn, Scotland, preaching on a Sunday morning. You may think that's nothing special. But if you understood where I come from, and how unlikely it is that I would end up here, you would understand how incredible it is and the way God has orchestrated the events and affairs of my life to bring me to this place right now. I could not have even dreamt this 
The reason I couldn't have dreamt this is because I didn't even know where Scotland was 11 years ago. <laughs> so I would have never even imagined one day I'm going to be living in Scotland. Or one day I'm going to be a preacher. When Karen and I were newly married, she would encourage me sometimes about, Darnell, you should you know, uh, teach Bible study or something, you know, because she, she just felt like I had good biblical knowledge and sometimes in the house groups or the Bible study I might make comments that she thought were very insightful and I was like, teach? Preach? No way. You know, I was once very shy and reserved and wasn't much of a people person and the idea of even standing up before people or greeting people at the door or going to somebody's house and sitting and having tea and coffee with them or visiting them in a hospital would have been absolutely foreign to me. I could have never, ever imagined me doing that. Now, see, many of you see me today, and it's hard for you to imagine that I once couldn't walk across the room and say hello to somebody, or I was a bit awkward in conversations and things. But that's what God can do in your life. He can take you places and do things in your life and change you and put you where he wants you to be. And it'll be things that you never, ever dreamt of. God has greater plans for your life than you could ever imagine. Last example. Just I only say this not to boast or brag, but just as an encouragement to you. Last year, I was invited to go and teach at uh, the Nazarene University in Nairobi, Kenya. In fact, in the news lately, Nairobi's been on there. Well, I was in that mall when I was out there visiting. Uh, and I thought about how incredible and unlikely it is that someone would you know, phone up or send me an email, however they communicated to me from Africa, and ask me, would I come out and spend a week there teaching and preaching on the university campus? And they paid my fare, my accommodation, put me up in an apartment on campus and took really nice care of me. And every day I preached and taught some classes and dealt with some student groups. And I, I wanted to pinch myself every morning I got up and said, how did this happen? How did I go from running a small painting and decorating business in Chicago to pastoring and preaching and teaching in Scotland and then being invited to other parts of the world to preach and teach? It's because God had a greater plan for my life than I had for my life. I thought the best thing I could do with my life was to build this painting and decorating business and be successful and buy a house and cars for my wife and family. And that, that, that would be the best I could do with my life. But God had a much bigger plan and a much more fulfilling and worthwhile plan for my life. What about your life? The plans, the goals, the aspirations that you have, if it's not God's plan for you, then it is really, really minor compared to what he wants to do in your life. Here's the third thing, and this probably, all this whole sermon hinges on this last point. So if you don't get this, then you've missed the whole point. <laughs> Here's the third thing we can learn from Gideon's example. Fear and doubt are two of the greatest barriers to fulfilling God's plan for your life. Fear and doubt. God has a plan for you. He created you. He wants to work that plan in you. He's capable of doing that. Nothing can keep God from doing that except your own fear and doubt. No outside forces can do it. Nobody else can do it. All only thing that would keep you from achieving what God wants to do in your life is your own fear and doubt. They are the two greatest barriers to fulfilling God's plan for your life. In the text today, and we, again, we didn't read the whole story, but I tried to give you a sense of the whole story. 
seven times, count them, seven times, either verbally or through a sign, God reassured Gideon that he was with him and would be successful. (laughs) Seven times. This man was very hesitant, very reluctant. But the story of Gideon is, thankfully, in the end, he overcame his fear, he overcame his, his, his uh, concern that he would be successful and God was able to use him. Imagine how differently his story would be if it ended with him refusing to trust God. If he just couldn't get his head around that I'm going to go and fight against these people with 300 men. No, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. He would be a complete failure. But in the end, he did overcome his fear and he did it. But enough about Gideon, what about you? What if you were to get to heaven and realize that you missed out on all of the wonderful, incredible things that God wants to do in your life for no other reason than you could not overcome your fear and your doubt and step out of faith and trust God? That he had this plan for you, it was right there, he was with you, he was going to help you succeed, but you never did it because you wouldn't take that first step and trust him. It's possible. Fear and doubt, two of the greatest barriers to fulfilling God's plan. And there are lots of things that we can be afraid of. You know, sometimes the fear is fear of failure. Fear of embarrassment. We don't want to start something or do something, then have everybody say, ah, see, I told you it wasn't going to work. Look at what they did. <laughs> they thought they could succeed in that. And so we're afraid to fail. But if we're afraid to fail, we will always be hindered. The other thing that can keep us back is fear of man. Criticism. Who are you? Well, what makes you think you can do that? Or why are you doing that? And you know, whenever you try to do something special for God, you will have critics. The other thing could be fear of responsibility. Some people don't like to be leaders. They don't ever want to have that responsibility. They have what I would call group courage. In a group, they can do anything. But on their own, uh uh-uh. No, I I don't want the responsibility or accountability. Another thing that fuels our fear is our knowledge of our own inadequacy. We know that we we aren't perfect. We know that there are some limitations to it. Sometimes these limitations are natural things like physical or mental. Maybe we feel like we're not smart enough or we have some physical limitation or maybe emotional or maybe financial. We want to do things but feel like we don't have the finances to do it. And these things can fuel our fear. Or we can feel like we have spiritual deficiencies. Like uh, Gideon, we may know, you know, well, I'm not capable of doing this in my own strength. But the good thing about God is that we don't have to be capable of doing it in our own strength. Our spiritual deficiencies can hold us back when we know in our heart the temptations we battle with or the sins we commit or the way we failed God in the past. And these things can be used as almost a a hindrance to keep us back and never allowing us to move forward. The Bible says how Satan is an accuser of the saints and he always wants to throw your past and what you've done in the past into your face. And you have to tell him no. You have to move on beyond that. And then lastly, I think one of the other things that holds us back in terms of fear and doubt is our wrong belief that the heroes in the Bible were like superheroes, that they were spiritually superior to us. You know, we look at the Gideons in the Bible and other characters and we think, yeah, they did those things because they were different than me, but they weren't. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm almost done. It's what's been called like the the wall of fame for, for people of faith. You know, it's these heroes of faith. There's a whole list of them. Listen to some of the people that's on that list. 
Abraham is on that list. But Abraham was a great man of faith, but on two occasions he expressed or showed real cowardice. Two times he went into a city and asked his wife to say that she was his sister. Because he was afraid that the king would see how beautiful she was and kill him to marry, kill her, uh, him to marry her. This great man of faith, twice he did that to his wife. Say, tell him you're my sister. Jacob is on this uh, list of people of faith. And Jacob was a professional con man. He lied to his father. He cheated his brother. He cheated his uncle. And yet, he's a great man of faith. You know who else is on that list? Rahab. You know what Rahab was? She was a prostitute. She had a lifestyle before she put her faith in Jehovah that was completely ungodly. But yet, she exercised faith and she's on the list. Another person that's on the list is David. David. David was an adulterer and a murderer. He slept with a man's wife and then had the man killed to cover it up. And yet, he's on the list as well. And by the way, Gideon, this reluctant person who seven times God had to reassure, he's on the list. So why is Gideon on the list, seeing how reluctant and fearful he was? Well, here's the point. It doesn't matter that you have fear and doubt. What matters is if you ever overcome them. It's okay to have fear. It's okay to have doubt. But you must, with God's help, overcome it or you will always be stuck and never achieve what God wants you to do. Courage is not the absence of fear. Just because you're courageous means you don't have any fear. It means that you have fear, but you're able to overcome it. In fact, you don't need courage where there's no fear present. You know, if in the middle of the night I feel thirsty and want to go into my kitchen and get a drink of water, that don't take courage. Why? Because I'm not afraid to go to the kitchen and get a drink of water in the middle of the night. But you ask me to go into Glasgow in the middle of the night, bad neighborhood, to help a friend, that takes courage. Why? Because I'd be a bit fearful about what might happen in that situation. So courage is not the absence of fear, it's the ability to overcome your fears and act in faith. Just as I close, let me just reemphasize this point. That God's plan for your life is greater than your plan for your life. That within each of you is potential to do far greater things for God than you ever thought possible. And the only thing that will hold you back is your inability to overcome your own fear and doubt and let God have his way in your life. So has God called you to do something that you're hesitant to do? Is there something that's holding you back from achieving all that God wants to in your life? This can happen with individuals, but you know what else it can happen with? Congregations as a whole. A whole church can be held back by fear and doubt and never step out on faith, never seek to do great things for God, never take chances. I've been in church leadership for uh, quite a while now. And one of the things I've seen is that people can get in the habit of you got to almost guarantee it's this going to succeed before we try it. I've been in board meetings and elders meetings and things where whatever is being proposed, unless we can see it happening, we can, we can prove it, guarantee it, we won't try it. That's not faith. I'm not saying we should be reckless, but sometimes you've got to know what God is telling you to do and take a step of faith and trust him, even if you don't see the outcome. If you're going to realize your God-given potential, then you'll have to do what Gideon did in the end. And that is overcome your fear and doubt and trust God in faith. Talking this morning about achieving your potential. 
God wants to do something special in each and every one of your lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Dear God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today and to learn from your word. And thank you for the example of Gideon. Father, and I just pray that you'd help us, like Gideon, to overcome our fear and our doubt, our hesitation to step out and act in faith. I pray, dear God, that you would give us the courage that comes from your spirit to do the things that you have called us to do. Father, help us to understand that wherever you call us to, that you also provide the way for us to do those things. And that it's not in our strength, but it's in your strength that we accomplish great things for you. Father, thank you for your grace and how you call ordinary people like all of us in this room to do extraordinary things for you. Father, my sincerest prayer is that none of us will fall short of achieving what it is that you have for our lives. Help us, dear God, to put away all fear, all doubt, and trust you for the things we need in our life. Thank you for everyone who is here and just pray that long after we leave this place, the things that you have spoken to them today will resonate in their hearts and minds and encourage them to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.